You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Plastic pollution is a huge problem in our environment and in our water. Unfortunately, it's everywhere, and we've got to do what we can to reduce the plastic that's in our society. This stuff takes hundreds of years to break down, and it's made with fossil fuels, which just drives climate change. That's why I'm a big fan of the solid metal construction of High Sierra showerheads. There's no plastic involved. They're made with solid plated brass, stainless steel, and heavy-duty aluminum. Even the seals and hoses are made from silicone rubber. So again, no plastic in High Sierra showerheads. That's unlike the competitors out there in the market, which have a lot of plastic involved. Often the metal you see is just a thin layer covering plastic. Another advantage of this solid metal construction is durability. High Sierra showerheads are simply going to last a long time. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Joined for this episode by my colleague and friend, Mike McGill. He is president of Water PIO. Mike, how's it going? Going well, except for, right. except for my Washington football team. Everything's fine right now. I know. We almost just had a totally different podcast, and, and we could have just <laughs> talked about our, our sports teams and that that professional football franchise in DC that continues to put us in a state of misery. Um, and you know, the thing is like, nobody can tell what Monday we're having this, this podcast. Cause this is like this right. every, every Monday, right? It's evergreen. It's evergreen. <laughs> it, it will apply in November, December. We're never seeing January. So, you know, everything will be, it'll be okay. Yeah. And, and you can appreciate this too. That the sad thing is I'm like, okay, time for me to move on to the wizards. <laughs> and how long will that last? Right? They'll yeah, they'll let, tease let me, me for check my watch here. Let me yeah. check my watch. Exactly. <laughs> That'll be over quickly. <laughs> but uh yeah, excited to talk to you about all things communications. Uh, you know, we're kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit here. So people know we're both living in southeastern North Carolina, kind of in the Wilmington, North Carolina area. It's funny, we both ended up here as water comms guys. Um, right. but you know, you do a lot of a lot of work uh helping water utilities out there with their communications and helping the sector overall understand what's going on with comms, mistakes that can be made, opportunities right. that should be taken. So we can dive into that. Um, one of the other things we share in common is we kind of both worked in the media first. Um, right. You know, I was just a little lowly newspaper guy. You were the big <laughs> shiny lights in the broadcast industry. I, I was the grunt producer. I was the grunt producer behind the scenes. <laughs> um, how do you think having a background in media helps uh, a communications professional? Well, in my case, I think it's the fact that you've been behind the curtain. You know how stories come together, why you make decisions on, on which stories to cover and how you're going to cover them. And that's, you know, moving into PR work, that's where really that, that comes into play and is an advantage. You know, you kind of demystify the process. I don't know about you, but most of the people I come across in, in our sector, they hate the news media, can't stand it. Uh, and social media on top of that as well. So there's a lot of scar tissue that's built up. And what we 
what we do and what I do specifically is, is try to come in and, and tell people, listen, people in news media aren't trying to, they aren't sitting in a smoke-filled room trying to, to find a way to, to screw over your water utility. Really what they, they're doing is they're covering four and five stories a day, and they're just doing it quickly and easily and perhaps lazily. Uh, and that's where you've got to come in and, and really help build that relationship with the press and you will get better coverage. So that's a big part of it. Just demystifying that process that, listen, the, the press has to move quickly, cover a lot of ground. There is an opportunity for you to work with them. Don't, don't fall back and let that scar tissue rule the day because they've forgotten about you. You've got to forget about the past stories so you can move on and, and get better coverage. A lot of great points there. You know, the idea that the media is devious and they're up to no good, right. and there's this giant collaboration, you know, uh, collusion going on across the landscape. The, the big picture stuff is is funny, but yeah, it definitely helps understanding how an editor or producer decides like something is newsworthy, right? Like, okay, right. Th this actually matters to our audience, <laughs> um, you know. And I was just talking to someone today. As a matter of fact, they were lamenting the fact that they weren't getting coverage for their assistance programs for their customers. And they laid out all the different ways that they reach out to their customers from the utility and they left out mass media coverage. Mm -hmm. And I brought that up to them. I said, look, you know, and they said, well, we've put out a press release before, but we didn't really get any coverage. Honestly, you can keep going at it. You can keep plugging away. And on one day, maybe that story doesn't land. But another day when I'm looking for coverage. You know, I was a planning editor in a DC newsroom. I plan news coverage. If you come to me with a story that connects with most of my audience and is seen as helpful to that audience and, and connects, and it's all wrapped up in a little bit of a bow for me, if you hit me at the right time, I'm going to run that story and you're going to get exponentially more attention for your efforts. So it, it really is, there are advantages and opportunities there that, that we in our sector have to to take advantage of, and we're not quite doing so right now. Yeah. Do you think um, the press release is, is dead or close to it? Well, it's interesting, and sorry if I interrupted the, the longer no. question, but no. I was on a panel at Waterford, Texas a couple weeks ago, and that was brought up, and one of my panelists said the press release is dead, and I jumped in and said, no, it's not. Mm. Simple fact is the press release actually can be very helpful if you write it like a news story and you send that out as content, you know, news stations, newspapers, that they'll cut and paste your story and put it right on their websites and tweet it out through their social media. So you get that just from the press release itself. But if you're, you're also sending it out as a pitch, you're making a connection with a producer or a reporter or, you know, a head of an assignment desk and saying, hey, listen, you might want to take a look at this. You know, it's like a personal note and, and then send your press release along with that personal note, it's helpful. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't believe it's dead at all. If you are making the job for the news media easier, if you write a press release that they can turn around into a story, even if they don't, they don't have the resources to cover it, they, it's still content. They need content. So if you give them content for their websites or their social media, even if they don't cover you with a reporter, you've done a pretty good job. So I, you know, I kind of pushed back a lot during that panel and said, no, it's not dead. You just have to rework how you use it. Yeah, yeah. Rework how you use it. Rework that content a little bit. And I think expectations, you know, 
that audience piece just keeps always coming to me. Someone wants to put out a press release, but I'm like, is this information interesting to that media outlet's audience, right? Just because right. it's a big deal to you um, doesn't mean that it's relevant to that media outlet's audience. You also kind of talked about the idea that um, people might be going to other communications channels and just kind of leaving traditional media off their list, maybe because those bad experiences in the past, maybe because they're frustrated, not getting coverage of things. Right. So I like talking to you about how to have productive relationships with the media, because it's not just sending them a press release uh, or responding uh, when there is an inquiry or something bad happens, right? So can you talk about how you start to build a productive relationship with the press? It's 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 another human relationship that you want to build, mm. and that's the way I try and point that out. I've done a lot of reputation rehabs for utilities, and it's it's amazing almost to me. Of course, it's easy for me in the news media. If you want to come in and sit down with me and talk to me about what you do and how you do it into my newsroom, I'm going to sit down and listen to you because once again, as I mentioned before, you connect with most of my audience. Most of my audience is a water or sewer user and, and someone who will be interested potentially in those stories. The first step I always take, uh, this is with past utilities and with clients, is I'll sit down with the newsrooms, with in, in papers, TV, whatever, and with social media influencers, sit down and have a conversation. You know, how can, what is your view of us? How have we maybe create that situation where maybe the relationship isn't that strong and how we make it better. It comes down to just relationship building. And I found, you know, my last utility that I worked for before I put out my own shingle, they received terrible press coverage for years. And they told me, don't even bother. Well, that's a losing proposition anyway. But when I came down and sat down and went into the newsroom and sat down with their reporters and producers. First off, they were amazed that I was there. They were like, no one will, <laughs> would ever think of doing that. So you get a boost of credibility right off the bat just by simply being in the room. And then you have the dialogue back and forth. And, and, and then you have to follow up on that. Uh, you know, if they had questions or concerns, I worked to answer those questions or concerns. Maybe I couldn't get them the answer that moment. But I worked for them to get them their answers to their questions instead of what had been done in the past, which was simply blow them off. If you blow up the press, of course you're going to get bad coverage. It does, I mean, it, it just goes hand in hand. So that's the biggest thing that I that I push forward with in, in how to uh, gain a productive relationship with the press. For many people, you just got to you know, open up that relationship and have a dialogue. If you've already done that, then it's consistent regular fulfillment. Here, I've got ideas for you. Oh, you have questions for me. Here are my answers. By the way, have you thought about this? That kind of relationship that goes on. And, you know, it, it comes down to basic human relationship building. Yeah. And, you know, you have that initial maybe sit down, try to establish that relationship, but don't just contact the media when you have a story or you have a press release, right? Like I, this is stuff you talk about is, um, hey, have you actually seen our facility? Um, have you seen right. how we produce this, how we do that? Why don't you just come and check it out? I'm not even trying to get you to write a story, right? Just come, come along and see things. Exactly right. You know, um, we do this a lot with elected officials. Um, you know, sometimes elected officials, they, they've run against the utility or they've, you know, they've said, we're going to take care of your rates. We're, you know, we're going to keep an eye on the utility. 
the best thing you can do is bring them in and show them your water plant. Because guess what? When they see what goes into making drinking water, and it is a product, that's what some people don't understand. When they see the work that goes into it and the people that are doing it, that are just like you and me and my neighbors out there, they're not, you know, they're not in a suit and tie sitting in an office. They're at a plant working hard to make sure that water is safe and clean 24-7. You know, they gain a respect for the utility just through osmosis. You don't even have to really pitch them and say, geez, can you see how important this is? They get it. And that's a big help. Uh, one reporter just came out of college. We brought her out to the plant and, and she was amazed. She had no idea. Well, guess what? That reporter for the last three or four years has done nothing but give us fair coverage, you know, and mostly positive, but fair coverage is really what you're looking for. And and she's been tremendous. And that's because we built that relationship at the start and we showed her what went into making clean, safe drinking water. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that point there about fair coverage. You know, when I've yeah. been in some communications positions and dealt with some like big publications, tough, old school reporters, um, all I wanted was the fair, <laughs> the fair story, right? right? The f factual, fair, balanced uh, kind of story. And but by working with them, by giving them information all the time, by being pretty, you know, quote transparent, it it led to that, um, and that's right. that's really key. Um, you talk you talk also about uh, the timeliness aspect, and you know, tell me first, trust you first, kind of thing. Could you elaborate on that whole that whole area you talked about earlier? People are, they're on deadlines, and <laughs> so you have to right. be aware that like this is this is happening. So love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, in in a time on this, I say this a lot in, in my speeches. You can say the exact same thing before you have a problem, and you look transparent and open. You say the exact same thing after a discovery is made, say for PFAS or for lead, then you look defensive and it looks like you've been hiding. The exact same words taken two different ways. It's all a matter of timing, and that's that's why I talk about it. in the newsroom. We had a simple phrase. If I hear from you first, I trust you first. If I hear from you last, I trust you last. So with difficult topics, and we have several coming up, and several of them we're in the middle of, but they're certainly going to, to become even more prominent in the coming years. If you're out there communicating first and saying, listen, uh, reporter, producer, you may have seen or heard about this. We'd love to talk to you a little bit more about it in case you're wondering, you know, just in just in case. And here's our, here's our, here's our, answer or message or whatever the case may be about the issue that's at hand. It goes a long way. It builds trust. You know, PFAS is going to be an issue with us for years to come. The lead and copper rule, the impacts of that are going to be with us for years to come. So you might as well get out front and start working on the communications in those areas with the press, the public, the community, elected officials now before you have a, a discovery or an issue. Once again, you say it before there's an issue, you're transparent and open. You say it after the issue, you look defensive and look like you've been hiding things. And and that's a, that's a great way, a simple way to, to kind of attack these issues that we're going to have to face. Yeah. I mean, there was a number of times when I was in communications in state and federal government that it took so long for us to get clearance for our answers to immediate inquiry you know, that we end up getting back to them at the end of the day. And lo and right. behold, our, we just get one little quote, or here's the comment, what, 75% of the way through the story, you know, as almost right. an afterthought. Um, and the whole story's been <laughs> written, the, the story's been told by that point. So you got to be got to be quick. 
Absolutely. Um, so uh, shifting a little bit here, um, as you look at what's going on in, in kind of the water utility comms space, how would you assess it? How would you describe describe it right now and maybe how it's trending, which way it's headed? Interesting. I, I see it as a work in progress. I'm trying to be, you know, glass half full person instead of half empty. I've seen it actually in the speeches I've given, you know, at, uh, I was just at water pro national rural water. Um, and my speeches were packed rooms out the door, a lot of people in them. Whereas before two years ago, maybe they were kind of half full. I think, you know, I think we're coming around to the idea of we've got to get out there and be communicating uh, and, and communicating first about these tough topics that are coming up. Um, UCMR uh, 5, you know, we're going to start testing for 29 PFAS in 2023. We've got to talk about that now. The lead and copper rule and its impacts. People already have to start working on their, their lead line inventories now, let alone the fact that it's going to be going into effect late in 2024. So I think with those issues coming up, there's, there's more of a turn towards, you know what, we've got to communicate. We can't just simply stay quiet, roll the dice. Maybe people will, will miss us. They'll ignore us. That's fine by us. We'll stick our heads down and do our jobs. If they do hit us, maybe they hit us for a couple of days, but we'll move on. In this day and age, you can't operate that way. And it's a big thing that we talk about. We live in the instant information age now. If you're not communicating with your customers, with the press, the public, then you're in trouble. And I think with the issues that are coming up now, I think our sector's understanding that, that, that it, you can't stay quiet anymore. Yeah. Well, that you, uh, you segued to my next question very well there, and it's about what are those, those toughest issues right now when it comes to the communications front. So you mentioned PFAS, you mentioned lead, you can throw those in the mix and talk <laughs> about those a little more. Um, and then anything else you think is really, really tough, you know, as a challenge to communicate on. Well, I'll say this. I've been concentrating on PFAS and lead so much that sometimes I forget about <laughs> the first issue I had to deal with in water when I, I started in 2007. You know, I was with the Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission. We had 2,104 water main breaks my first winter. When I say that number, the people, everybody in the room kind of you know leans back and like, what? <laughs> you know, sometimes we forget about just the basic issues we have. We've got to and, and we're making progress here. We've got to fund the replacement and the upgrades of our infrastructure, our water wastewater infrastructure, our plants, our pipes, uh, so that we make sure our services are clean and reliable 24-7 like everybody expects. And that takes money. So that's one leg of the stool that sometimes we forget about as, as water communicators because you know, I, I always joke that I'm the angel of death at a lot of conferences because I talk about PFAS <laughs> and I talk about lead. You know, and, and so, you know, if you're going out for lunch, go grab a drink or go to happy hour. I set you up for it because there are so many issues that we have to get communicating on. But I think that third leg of the stool is is the old tried and true, the old fashioned water and wastewater infrastructure failures and, and staying on top of our systems with proper funding so that they're always there and they're always reliable. So those are kind of the three pieces, if you will. Uh, that I think we need to to really focus on with communications moving forward. Yeah. Um, 
I guess I, I want to talk about good opportunities and, and successes and positive examples in a second, but I just want to, to ask this question, even though I think you've hit on uh, parts of it already. And what are the common mistakes in water comms out there? If you had to kind of make a list of those. Yeah, I, I think the biggest one, and we've seen this, it's arrogance. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just be cold about it. You know, this idea of we know water, you don't. We'll tell you what you need to know when we feel you need to know it. Uh, we're the experts. If we give you a little bit of information, you'll probably screw it up anyway. So why give you that information? We'll just tell you what's important. And if you don't like that, well, oh, well, you know, you're not, you're not getting you're not your water from enough. anywhere else. You're not smart enough to understand this stuff. It's too technical, scientific, whatever it might be. Right. And yeah. and so that, that arrogance, and it circles back to what I talked about before, it doesn't work anymore. People can go to their phones and in 15 minutes believe they're more of an expert on water than someone who's worked in the industry for 15 years. <laughs> and that always gets a little rise out of a room. They, they It hits that connects with people a lot because they've seen it in their own work. And, and the way you avoid that is by communicating and talking with your customers about everyday issues and about the difficult issues. Listen, we don't have all the answers on PFAS. I said this um, at uh, utility management a couple months ago. I don't have the silver bullet on PFAS, but I'm there. I'm talking about it. I'm giving the latest information and perspective on it. I'm showing that my, my clients are on top of this matter and they will be just like they have been on every other water matter that's come down the pike for decades. Um, as long as you're out there having that conversation, you're going to be in better shape. But this arrogance that, you know, we'll let them know when they need to know it, it doesn't work anymore. And, and I've seen that we've seen it here in Southeastern North Carolina with PFAS. Um, decision was made not to communicate with customers, even though the utility helped get the information about Gen X, they decide not to communicate it. So when the story hit, they were seen as a villain instead of the people that helped find the problem in the first place. And so that's where I talk about the communication issue. If you're arrogant about your communications in this day and age, that's, that's death. And I, that's what I, I preach a lot. And I try and keep people from, from being anymore. Is that, and that's being arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And reactive instead of proactive is, is right. that stance, that posture is huge. Um, all right. Little diversion here because stuff you said, maybe think of this a, a bit and maybe this is on the crisis comm side <laughs> and three words that pop out in my head uh, around crisis comms. I just want to see what your take is on this is timely, truthful, transparent. Right. Um, so you got to be quick, right? You can't leave people wondering or going other places for info. Truthful, what you say had better be accurate. Right. <laughs> and and this is what you got out too, being transparent. Well, maybe you don't have all the answers, but it's better to tell that like, hey, we're not sure what this is, but we are looking into whatever it might be. What do you think of those three T's? It, it's perfect. I, I go about it a little differently. I always say in a in a in a session. Accuracy is job one. Speed is job 1A. And hmm. I don't know, and this speaks to your point, I don't know is a very good answer as long as you get the answer to the question. So I learned this first job in water. Like I said, with all those water main breaks, I was on at 530 in the morning, night, you know, morning in, morning out in DC talking about water main breaks. And I didn't have all the information before I had to do live shots at you know, 5.30 in the morning. I would roll up on the scene, I'd get a quick debrief, but we didn't get, I didn't have all of the information. 
So I'm alive on the air. What am I going to do? Am I going to wing it and try and say something? No, that you don't do that. So you say, listen, I don't have that answer for you at this time. I'll, I'll get the answer for you, hopefully by the next by the next live shot or next interview. And it works. The press understands that, that you might not have every answer to every question, but as long as you get that answer and you show that you're working and you're transparent in that regard, you're going to be in better shape than if you tried to wing it or if you got defensive, oh, I don't know, but that's not really important anyway. Yeah. I've seen that happen. That's bad. That's not the way to handle it. So accuracy is job one. You don't want to lose your credibility by being inaccurate. Speed is job 1A because of the world we live in. You've got to get out there quick with your responses. And then ideally, you get people on a, a regular schedule of updates. That's what we always preach. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can plan that they're going to get their information at, at 6 in the morning, 10, 2, you know, 6 at night and 10 in the evening, and they know those updates are coming, that's a big win. And then I don't know is a very effective answer as long as you find that answer out. Mm-hmm. But the last thing the press wants to do is go in the air with bad information. So if you say, I don't know, I'll get that information for you, you are doing them a service by not giving them information that might not be correct. Sure, sure. All right, we'll flip around to the sunny side of the street a little bit here. Um, what are the good opportunities that the water sector has to communicate? What are the what are the positive stories that they can leverage and should be doing more of? Well, this is a big thing we're talking about now, and it's actually a, a presentation that a lot of conferences are picking up. I talk about communicating after COVID uh, and the opportunities in both water and wastewater that are there. Uh, and unfortunately, we're not taking advantage of. Um, so I gave this at, at utility management as well. You walk through the COVID story. Look at what we did. We came through. Water, drinking water quality was not affected in part because our processes deal with these viruses viruses like this every day. And then our staffs, they adjusted their lives, not just customer service staff working out of their homes, but the plant staff. You know, I had one client where their their staff lived at the plant for a week straight, then a cleaning crew came in, and then the next shift came in and lived there for the next week, and they rotated weeks. That's a great story. You know, and we need to be telling that story. On the wastewater side, you had COVID clusters, you know, looking for COVID clusters at college campuses. The fact that when people sent their kids away in the middle of a pandemic to a college, the wastewater utility in that area helped protect them by searching for COVID clusters that might have been happening in their dorm. You know, those are great stories to tell. And unfortunately, we haven't been telling them. And it sets up future ass. Every positive story you can tell about a major event, you know, when you go to the public and say, well, we need to raise your rates to upgrade our plants, to make sure that that, uh, our systems are safe and reliable, they'll understand that a bit more because of the performance that you had during COVID. I mean, we close with this. Um, Imagine what life would have been like if you had had to line up for water in the middle of a pandemic. Um, It would have been very different. It would have been, you know, Horrific might be a hard word to say, but it certainly would not have been a great situation. So that's one thing we're preaching right now. There are good stories to tell just about how you came through during the pandemic that can set up and and boost public confidence in your services before we hit these problems and these unknowns like PFAS and the lead and copper rule and other issues that might crop up in the future. 
you build that bank of trust now through the great work we did during COVID and, and it will go a long way. Yeah. I mean, to your point, I was talking to George McGraw with Dig Deep recently, and he talked about Navajo Nation, where there's a lack of running water for a, a huge number of people there. And so during right. COVID, they had to break social distancing, they had to go to stores, they had to go to water depots, and exposure to the virus leapt because, you know, went up because of that. So um, yeah. you, you, you've worked in, in water utilities, you worked in water comms for a while here, um, really active. What are some of your favorite examples of, of good comms work or some organizations that you think are doing a great job? Okay. So I'm, I, I'm not going to mention any clients, so we'll, okay. we'll keep it clean. We'll <laughs> keep right. it clean. Um, you know, been digging deep on the lead issue. I think what Newark did in laying out all of their steps uh, in dealing with the lead service line issue. I think it's a great example for our sector moving forward. Uh, you know, just everyday communications, Denver water, Louisville water, especially are, are focused on rolling out consistent information about what you do and how you do it. My old friends at uh, WSSC, Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission, they do a lot of video work. They do a lot of work on the flushable wipes issue. Uh, it's really, you know, something that should be looked at as, as a way for utilities to talk about the issue for a low cost and get that information out there on a difficult matter. Uh, and then, you know, the kind of the gold standard with fun and interesting content, uh, is the sewer district of Northeastern Ohio. Sorry if I reversed the, the, the name of it, but that's always a fun follow to see how you can have fun with social media a little bit. You know, they have a good commitment to it. Most of what my clients or people in the sector, they just got to do the basics right. And I think if you looked at Denver Water, Louisville Water, WSSC, and on the lead side with Newark, I think that's a good, those are good outlets to look at for how you can talk about your services day in, day out, and build up that, that bank of trust that we've been talking about today. Yeah, great examples. Well, last question I had for you is, you know, if an organization wants to improve their communications, uh, there's obviously so many things they can do, so many areas to address. That can be overwhelming sometimes. Right. Um, where where would you recommend that an organization starts? What are the couple key things to focus on as a foundation? Okay, so when we, we come in and work with, with our clients, when they bring us on board, we kind of have... I always like to start off with a sit down and just kind of a download of how everybody's feeling about the organization, where it stands and what they want out of improved communications. I'm a big believer of the SWOT process, which is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Uh, you get people in a room, you say, listen, nothing leaves this room, but we're, if the more honest you are, the better off the organization will be and the, and the more focused our communications work will be and the more successful we will be. So if we get that out there. What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Um, you know, where do we think we have issues? The opportunities, like I mentioned with COVID, what do we have out there that we can point to and say, the public doesn't know about this. We should take advantage of this. And then the threats, you know, this is where someone comes up with their scar tissue and says, listen, the public is banging away on this. I'm tired of seeing this. How do we address this and, and maybe move move forward or, or weaken that threat to our credibility? So I always like to start off with that process. And then 
you know, we have a lot of our work over the years, you know, 80% of it is tried and true. The other 20% is the individual situation with the client. You know, for example, when I was in DC, I didn't have an issue with pump stations. I came down to Wilmington, North Carolina. I had 150 I had to worry about in an area that gets hit with hurricanes every year. Obviously, that changes <laughs> the communications plan. Um, so there's a lot of tried and true work, but then you're working with staff. You get the buy-in with staff on the communications approach because they're telling you, they're, they're giving you their knowledge to work with. And you're not being someone that comes in and steamrolls over everything saying, this is the way we have to do it. That's not going to work. So that combination, looking at the honest look at the organization, both from strengths and weaknesses, and then taking the information from the employees uh, about the system and what they think needs to be addressed, that'll go a long way into, into uh developing a communications plan that really works for the entire organization, top to bottom. You know, you don't want to just simply be seen as taking care of elected officials and their concerns. You want to be seen as taking uh, care of concerns of, say, customer service employees. They're like, listen, we keep getting hit with this from our customers. Can we do some communications that talks about our payment plans, that talks about our assistance programs? Um, we, we, that will go a long way into helping us with our customers. So you can develop a plan that covers the entire organization and really gets buy-in and, and is able to be successful. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that a lot of that is focused internally, uh, rather right. than externally, right? Like you really have to kind of tighten up things on your own ship and take a look at, at what's happening inside your walls, make some changes there before you can be successful in what you're communicating out outward. Exactly. And, and I'll say this, you'll get a lot of what the external is saying from the internal staff. You know, um, you bring up a good point. We just did uh, a major review of crisis communications for a Texas utility after the Texas freeze. So we had to have some of those external conversations. But usually you focus internally, you'll get the external on top of it coming in. Honestly, the external is usually taken care of with your board. If you are sitting down with the board of the utility, that's where that external will really come in. Um, but you're right. The key is the internal because you want buy-in. You know, you don't want to just come in and say, we know how to get you out of trouble. We're going to do it our way and, and you need to sign on board or you're the problem. I've seen this a lot. We've come in and had to do cleanup work and there's scar tissue there from, from work with, with firms like that. The best programs are basically a cooperative effort from the employees, from all levels of staff that, you know, address external concerns, but really the internal, everybody's on the same page first. Fantastic. Great, great stuff. Great advice. Um, I think next podcast, we will have you tackle the Washington football team's uh, <laughs> image and PR oh, and oh. give your advice on how they should proceed on, on addressing that. I have a Dan Snyder story from my WSSC days. I don't know if we're out of time. No, we're not. Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, so we had a water main break that uh, resulted in a, in a boil water advisory for 100,000 people, including FedEx Field, the home of the Washington football team. And it was two days before the Sunday night game with the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm on the scene, I'm doing press, and uh, a car, town car rolls up. Someone gets out and says, Mr. Snyder wants to talk to you right now. And I'm like, well, I've got pressed here. I can't go anywhere. I can't. 
I can't leave the scene. They're like, no, I don't think you understand. Mr. Snyder wants to talk to you right now. So I, I, I had to tell the person no again, but I, I quickly, this came up in Texas. I quickly say, listen, my boss will brief Mr. Snyder. Let me, I can't leave the scene because I've got pressed here. I'll talk to my boss. My boss will give Mr. Snyder a personal phone call. But they wanted to whisk me away in the middle of press. I mean, we're talking multiple <laughs> cameras all over the place saying, you are going to talk to Mr. Snyder right now, whether you like it or not. Um, that was an interesting little moment. But oh. I got FaceTime for my boss with Mr. Snyder. So that was a nice point in my favor instead of me taking that. Of course, I didn't get the tickets that Snyder gave afterwards. That went to my <laughs> boss too. But, you know, such is life. Oh man, think of think of the turn your life could have taken if you went in that car and you you know you you went and talked to Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Football Team, and <laughs> things could have been very different for you, Mike. Well, maybe 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 I would have saved people from having skunked beer, but that's another yeah, story. That's, that's another, another one. <laughs> All right, awesome. Always good talking to you. I enjoy it. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Travis. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Spring Point Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at highsierrashowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.